Hi, I'm Andy Murray. Welcome to It's a Customer's World podcast. Now more than ever, retailers and brands are accelerating their quest to be more customer-centric. But to be truly customer-centric, it requires both a shift in mindset and ways of working. Not just in marketing, but in all parts of the organization. In this podcast series, I'll be talking with practitioners, thought leaders, and scholars to hear their thoughts on what it takes to be a leader in today's customer-centric world. Hello, everyone. In this episode, we are continuing our deep dive into retail media networks. A key theme from the white paper research was the need for industry standards around definitions and metrics. We heard it time and again from both retailers and brands that the lack of standard definitions and measurement makes the job of evaluating performance across networks and against other media channels a real challenge. And it isn't just a challenge for brands. Retailers also have to work out how to meet the varying demands for measurement from brands who may be working with different definitions and criteria themselves. Recently, I became aware of the work of the Interactive Advertising Bureau, or IAB, and what they were doing to tackle this challenge. I was quite impressed by the progress they were making. To talk about that, I invited Jeff Bostos, VP of Commerce and Measurement at the IAB, to share with us the work of the committee and their journey to develop standards. Jeff is highly qualified to take on this kind of challenge with an extensive career in top media agencies such as Group M, where he led the data and audience strategy for the e-commerce clients. It was a great discussion, and I learned quite a bit, and I hope you do as well. So, Jeff, welcome to the show. Good to have you here today. Excited to be here. Excited to be here. Uh, before we get into retail media networks and what you're doing at IAB, can you first kind of tell us about your journey and what's led up to what you're doing today? Yeah. Um, so I, I started in paid search uh, about eight years ago, and uh, I was doing paid search across the various agencies, mainly within the commerce space. And um, my last role when I was at Mediacom, I was doing data and audience strategy for commerce companies. and from there, I had the opportunity to do a lot of really cool things. Um, so I was able to do a, a few, you know, clean room setups, uh, advise on CDPs, uh, test a few identity solutions, and also create various calculus roadmaps, um, all related to commerce uh, brands that I was working with uh, when I was at uh, Mediacom. So when the opportunity came to work at IB, it worked really well with the kind of the the experience that I gathered at Mediacom, especially, you know, with changing privacy landscape and, you know, the big conversation of first party data, how can you scale first party data, how should we be treating unknown audiences. And then, you know, it also fits really nicely now with the growth that we're seeing on retail media networks that, you know, provide brands, you know, really strong transactional first party data that they can um, activate against and target and they can deliver scale while getting that closed loop measurement, which is something that we're losing more and more every year uh, with the loss of identifiers, you know, and privacy legislation. Yeah, so you've seen this uh, from the very beginning. I mean, it's impressive background and you've been in the media space uh, way before the retail media network conversation kicked off, right? I mean, how have you seen it change uh, over those years? It's It's been interesting to see it change. I think uh, one of the things that, uh, 
were definitely a big change that I saw, especially in the search space, was the emphasis on audience targeting. Um, I remember when I started, um, this was probably back in 2014, when retargeting, everybody was talking about retargeting, it was a new fancy toy. Um, and then Google introduced in-market audiences and affinity audiences where you were able to kind of improve the intent signals beyond keyword intent to your search campaigns. Uh, and it was through that conversation, those new tools that Google and Bing provided that really had me kind of move more towards programmatic lens when we looked at, you know, buying and trading of data. Because uh, that was really where it's going. And even if you see now Google in kind of its journey in terms of media buying with performance max, you know, search intent, keyword intent still there, but they're playing, they're placing a stronger emphasis on the audience targeting and, you know, equal, I would say equal emphasis with the keyword intent. Yeah. Well, and then that journey that you've been on has led you to IAB. For those that don't know what IAB does, or what it stands for, and what you're doing there, why don't you uh, give us a preview? Yeah. So uh, uh, IAB stands for Interactive Advertising Bureau. And what we do is we uh, work, uh, we're a nonprofit, and we help bring the industry forward in developing standards and guidelines uh, for you know, publishers and ad tech providers so that, you know, buyers can all talk the same language and have that same conversation. Um, so, you know, the fact that we have terms and conditions right now across all agencies is because of the IV, T's and C's that have been around for, you know, close to over 10 years um, already, or even, you know, basic taxonomy standards or ad placement standards um, are all work that the IV has done in partnership with the IMRC. And you're leading uh, the effort to do a, a committee on retail media network in the same kind of journey, correct? Yes. So I, I lead the retail media committee. Um, and what we're trying to do there is we've gathered and we're continuing to gather um, thought leaders and decision makers across the retail space. So these are retailers. So, you know, Kroger, Walgreens, Best Buy, as well as um, ad tech companies such as Cubmatic, um, Trade Desk, Critio, PatView, and then also buyers. So, you know, you have your mind shares, you, you, your Publicis, but also kind of expanding into e-commerce boutique agencies, such as the Marsh Agency, and just really kind of expanding that thought leadership. And then in terms of the output is that we're working on a categorization and definitions guide, which we think it's the first step for uh, retail media just to make sure that everyone's speaking the same language and then from there we'll kind of continue that work there well working with the university of arkansas on the white paper uh this area of standards and definitions and metrics uh came up quite quite loud and clear is an important factor that could unlock a lot of efficiency and um just speed of adoption uh, because it can be quite complicated. Uh, so how, tell me how that project's been going. What are some, what kind of enthusiasm are you getting? A uh, good sized team working on it. Uh, what's that been like? I mean, the, the, the engagement has been amazing. It's been humbling. Uh, we just had a working group uh, last week of October. I mean, the first week in November where we met and we had uh, 33 people show up in person and uh, about 40 people attend virtually. And these were, you know, executives from, you know, Kroger, Best Buy, Lowe's, uh, Pubmatic, Trade Desk, Five Ram, uh, Oracle, Publicis, Mindshare, 
literally like all the big players within the retail media space took three hours of the day to come together and we all collaborating on our categories and definitions. Um, so the, the engagement has been really strong. Um, it's probably one of the most engaged working groups that I've ever worked on. Um, and we are the main objective of this categories and definitions, you know, to your point that you mentioned earlier in the white paper you guys wrote, the, the tension within the standards is that it's one, it's very difficult to enter the retail media space because it's very fragmented right now from, you know, how should you buy retail media? You know, not everything, you can't buy everything through your current trading platform. You might have to use various trading platforms or use a retail proprietary trading platform. It might be self-service or managed service. And then even within those two, there's like different types and levels of services available. So what we hope to do is that we, uh, with the categories and definitions guide, we are working with, you know, everyone that's involved in the space and creating categories and definitions across on-site, off-site, and in-store so that um, a buyer, um, and we would define buyer to be really specific as someone who is a manager level or above at an agency. So I would say two to five years of experience. Can so someone has some media and programmatic background, but you know is not an expert on it yet, can pick up this guide, and would easily be able to activate against retail media with it and be able to understand how to do audience strategy, media planning, activation, and finally reporting. Yeah, well, you know, you let me sit on one of the uh, conference calls to that you guys were working through that, and I was really impressed by the level of engagement and the clarity and the definitions there. But I also had this hunch that that wasn't an easy journey, that there were probably uh, a lot of hard yards and lively debates to to pull that together. Uh, how have you been able to to bring so many different parties together to make this kind of progress? What's been the magic to pull that off? Um. I bribe people with uh, chocolate discs <laughs> um, to make hot chocolate. Uh, I, I try to make I, I you know I try to make the the conversations as you know entertaining, but also as um, useful as possible. I understand everybody's really busy, so like the one that you had joined, we had Andrew Lipsman kind of set the stage, talk about third wave of advertising. He touched upon various of the tensions. Uh, so you know I make sure that whenever I have these committees that we meet once a month. We make sure that we have a thought leader. We've had you know conversations on measurement attribution. We had, had conversations on you know what is a healthy growth trajectory. How are other people doing measurement? Uh, and then in terms of collaboration, you know there's definitely tensions. Um, but I think that what we're seeing and that's really exciting is that people really want to collaborate. I mean, even within the working group that we had, you know, I would say about eighty percent of the people that were there were competitors like direct competitors of each other. And they were all in a room trying to solve the problems together. Cause I think everyone understands that this is, needs to be a joint effort. Um, so I think, you know, that's, that's where it is, um, kind of managing those two tensions with the out, you know, the, uh, the line inside of the outcome, you know, maintaining that healthy growth trajectory. Well, that's fantastic. Congratulations. That's not an easy task. Uh, a couple of things. One, the timeline now, because there's a couple phases to this, correct? So this first phase on definition of terms and agreement on those terms, that's coming out when? So we are going to release that for public comment um, early January uh, for a publication of either February or March, depending on the level of uh, corrections or any feedback that we get. And uh, so it's going to be publication in March. And then 
uh, the next step to that would be actually developing measurement guidelines, which is what everybody's really asking for. But we, we did feel that before you can even talk about measurement, we need to set you know a basis so that everyone's talking about the same thing before we can get into something much more complex. Well, it's a lot easier task probably. It sounds like the hard yards are still uh, ahead of you if you start talking about getting into the measurements. So, so people are clear, you're not tackling measurement first of what, you know, how should things get measured. It's more agreement on definitions, which is still a really big challenge in the industry. Uh, what kind of challenges do you think lie ahead in getting alignment on the measurement task? So I, I think with the measurement task, and this is something that we've having debates, is that, you know, retailers definitely want to differentiate themselves. And it's important for them to differentiate themselves, but they also want to, they, we, they should also look to automate their technology as much as possible. Because one of the issues would be is if you differentiate yourself too much, and you kind of are going in the route that social media platforms went, that as a media buyer, I'm only going to buy the two biggest ones and then whatever other, you know, media, social media platform aligns with my brand. Um, so like if I'm a commerce platform, I'll probably buy, you know, Meta, Snapchat and Pinterest. And then if I'm a business brand, I would do Meta, um, LinkedIn. So it'd always be like the big player and it will continue to be like that. But if you're able to really automate and deliver that scale, you're going to be able to expand the number of people that are working with you. And then even from an automation perspective, you, you want to make sure to understand that the real growth opportunity lies in the non-endemic opportunity, because there's a lot of data that, you know, a retailer has that, you know, someone beyond the CPG would want to use that data. Can you, um, you know, can you give me an example of one of those? Because I, I heard it on the call the other day, you one about Ford, perhaps, you know, being interested in this space. But how might an, an, a non-endemic brand use the value of the retail media network connection to to meet their marketing objectives? Yeah. So you know, I, I think when when you think retail media, uh, it's one looking beyond just the on-site opportunity. Uh, but even into the offsite opportunity. So me as a non-endemic brand, I can buy, uh, let's say Kroger's audience and uh, Kroger can run that audience on Roku. So that's very valuable where I'm able to create a specific audience sets of a Roku transactional consumer. And there's a lot of data points that um, Kroger can give me that can create an audience set. For me. So, you know, I can, you know, if I am a, car manufacturer and I want to, you know, target families. Kroger probably has an audience for like, these people are probably a four person family, you know, probably, you know, target them with the minivan um, or, you know, you know, specific, you know, aspects of their life or, you know, this person um, seems to be really active and they buy a lot of Gatorade and coconut water. So maybe, you know, target them to like those specific things. So there's a lot of data that, you know, they have, and they also have a lot of customer loyalty data. And one, one of the things that we, we kind of take for granted is that we go grocery shopping like every week. And if you think of your life, you probably don't, unless you've moved, you probably go to the same grocery store. You know, I've gone to the same grocery store for years. So they've been with you as your life changes through every single one of your life moments. So they kind of understand that. And they have all this data where they create predictive models and other people that have 
you know, following what you were five years ago, 10 years ago. So they can definitely have a lot of predictive models, which is really valuable. Um, and, you know, the data signals are much more strong versus the third party data where, you know, the signals weren't probably that strong. You know, you mainly just looked at shoes because, you know, your friend had cool shoes and you just wanted to see what the shoes name were, but they don't want to buy shoes, but now you're going to be targeted for shoes for the next three months. So, you know, I think it's, you know, the fact that, you know, the retailer can provide the stronger data signals for targeting. Well, that's a great explanation of that. And most of the conversation so far with retail media networks that I've been around is more omni-channel and on-platform endemic brands. And I think that's a great explanation of what might, could be done, you know, especially as you get standards developed and metrics uh, put in place. Uh, one aspect of this is how the retail media networks from a retailer side and the definition shake out. But but tell me a little bit, because you've lived on the agency side, you grew up in the media business. How does that um, change the way media agencies might or need to work in the future or uh, how they work today? Because it is a different, it's a different ballgame than what they might be used to. And what are you seeing on that front? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very different. You know, I think that um, from a media agency, you're kind of used to the fact that your publisher is going to be really nice to you. And it's going to wine and dine you and you are buying their product like you're buying the ad placement and i want one of the tensions right now from a retail media perspective is that retailer relationship with brands is literally the opposite where the brands are literally going to the retailers trying to convince them to sell them shelf space um, so it's it's creating a tension in the ecosystem where a channel or uh, category trade managers at the retail side have to learn how to foster better relationships or change the way they're managing these relationships to make sure that, you know, from a media perspective, you're managing a healthy growth of retail media. Because, yes, it might be a small percentage of the spend, but the margins on retail media are very significant that I wouldn't, you know, I would make sure that to prioritize those as well. So I, I think that's definitely a tension that you, you know, there that exists today. Yeah. And also the commerce connection, because it, quite honestly, a lot of the spend in the retail media networks has come through in the trade spend space. Uh, of course, that's it's got a large percentage and probably going to grow in terms of how much trade spend investment gets moved into retail media networks in addition to the brand spend. Um, have you had a fairly good representation in the definitions and stuff from the commercial side of typical CPGs that are looking at probably probably different metrics than perhaps uh, cost per impression, you know, as they are trying to manage that commercial relationship and their metric might be return on retailer relationship for that matter. Yeah, no, it, it does become very difficult how that there's two different ways things are being measured. So um, to your point, now with the retail media networks, media agencies are being like, we want every single metric that exists under the sun and retailers for a long time have just been giving very basic PDFs of just being like, is your sales, is this, 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 and they're very broad. Cause as you said, they're really based on the relationship and what that was delivering. Um, so I think it's going to become the need to have consensus. And that is one of the things that we're going to be working on. Um, is in identifying the 10 metrics that need to be provided and how those metrics should be provided. So um, it's probably going to be like, 
as an example, retailers should, you know, provide more granularity, but also from a retail media perspective, maybe you don't need to know where your CPMs are because your main goal is ROAS. However, if your main outcome and objective is ROAS, then it's very important that we define what viewability is and what your attribution is. We have very specific definitions for that. Because if you could define that and that, then as long as my ROAS is stay the same, and I know my viewability is 70% and my conversion window is 14 days, and I'm still delivering the same volume in sales, my CPM shouldn't matter. I think that's also beyond just retail media. I think that like buyers need to kind of move away from the fact that like you're trading data, you're trading like things are going to fluctuate five to 10% because it's a trading platform and we shouldn't have to provide POV in every single slight fluctuation. Yeah. I mean, I grew up more on the commercial side and I would call that uh, a world where you paint it with watercolors and uh, because the, the things kind of blend, you know, you're not looking for exact rep representation, you know, at a, at a finite level where media buying in a more brand programmatic way is painting with oils. You know, it's very precise. They want to get those, you know, exactly placed. And as you put those two worlds together, you know, those those are really two different crafts. And I, I agree with your assessment that you can get um, fixated on loads of KPIs, and that actually might be harder just because it's a more perfect measure doesn't necessarily mean it's a better measure. And I think uh, that's one of the points that, that you've zeroed in on here by saying, let's just get to the 10 that can really make a difference and make sure we're looking at the commercial objectives and the media objectives together. That's, that's great news to hear it's being thought of that way. Yeah. Okay. Whether we can do it is going to be another story because that's going to be really difficult. But well, yes, you've that's, laid that's... the you've laid the groundwork though for some really good conversation coming up next, and it's probably was really smart starting with the definitions where you can get some agreement on and get good team building and you know community of people that really care about this to to move it forward. So uh, we felt for a long time this is the one unlock for the industry that's really hasn't been done yet, which is get the some standards and. Uh, and definitions and standards and metrics like viewability, what is a view, um, so on and so forth. Is there anything that um, really has surprised you about this journey that you've been on on this subcommittee? Um, I mean, I, I think just the, the the collaborative effort that everybody's having, as I mentioned before, I you know just it's it's awesome to see the level of collaboration that we've been seeing. Um, and I think it's also kind of, you know, being the fact that I was on the buy side a lot is also talking to retailers and, you know, I think a lot of this conversation is how retailers can be better, but it's also, we should, you know, their conversation should also be on how brands and agencies can be better. Like brands can talk to the amongst themselves, like, you know, the same brand agency can talk internally, which is, you know, definitely a contention point. Or even, you know, if, you know, one of the retailers mentioned that, you know, we, we are going to move towards standards for retailers, retailers would need agencies to standardize what they're requiring them, them which is a great thing, you know, because even, even everyone throws around the word incrementality. But, you know, if you were to talk about 30 people on incrementality, you would probably get 60 different ways to measure incrementality. Yeah. Um, so what we are going to be doing as well is in those 10 metrics, we're also going to be pretty much working with agencies and brands to be saying, these are the 10 metrics that you should be requiring or that you should be looking at, or this is how you should be measuring success more likely. And if they really want to dig on incrementality, then we would say, 
these are five ways to measure incrementality for these five use cases. And you need to kind of like use them because right now retailers are having to juggle, you know, 10, 20, 30 different measurement demands. That's, you know, very difficult for them to do. Yeah, I, I think you've said it well. There's been a lot of expectation of retailers and a lot of pressure on retailers to do certain tasks and come up with more and more metrics. But it's been our finding through the white paper research that uh, there's a lot of heavy lifting still to be done on the CPG side because you've got commercial organizations with lines getting blurred with the marketing teams, the media teams. And uh, it's there's a lot of uh, integrated planning, work process planning that has to be done for CPGs to have a, to speak with a single voice to the retail community with what they need and what and why they need it. Um, and if those get aligned, it, it's really going to be best for both both sides of this uh, ecosystem. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying on the, the need for brands and agencies also to come together. And a lot of times in the brand world, um, you've got to put together some commerce uh, shopper marketing type agencies alongside media agencies and not just have them show up at a meeting here or there, but really have a, a, a deep understanding of, of how it really works on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, I think that's, you, you definitely touched on a good point. You know, I think that um, the com we're, we're going to see definitely more commerce specialty companies. Uh, and it, 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 I think those companies definitely have a larger purview to the retailer because they're also, working with the retailer on how to activate some of their data. So, you know, they're kind of have that 360 view. Um, but I, I guess, um, curious, and I know this is a podcast interview me, but I guess, you know, you come from the commercial side, like what, what, have, what were the changes do you think that were key to bring us where we are today to have retail media networks exist? Well, they've been there for a while. I think the big change has been, you know, COVID and getting such a, a larger volume of CPG sales in the in the e-commerce space. And so what happened there uh, is kind of like, okay, this is more than just a little spend that we can tolerate. It's now a thing. And you start asking for, you start seeing, you know, tens of millions of dollars that were in media and trade moving into the space. It does elevate the conversation to well, you know, how are we measuring that? And let's make sure we know what we're doing. How does it drive brand objectives? Is it really bottom funnel? Some of the stuff Kroger's doing with, you know, uh, Roku and others, uh, you know, it really does have a discovery lens to it for different types of brand objectives. And I think a lot of this is coming at us pretty quickly in terms of then, you know, well, how do we upskill our organization to have people that can speak and you know, do watercolor and oil painting at the same time. Uh, that that's the, what I see happening is the the technology and the transactional capability has moved really fast, but then the strategic application of that is starting to you know is getting pulled along and really understanding how do you have a retail uh, uh, a revenue model an RGM a re revenue growth model that factors in retail media network opportunities so that you're not driving the wrong assortments inside of uh, different retailers and creating, you know, competition amongst yourself you didn't really need or a price comping. And so there's a lot there to be figured out, but it's it's come really fast. And I think it's the speed of the change uh, through COVID and now also the pressure of of, uh, of the uh, uh, cookie-less environment that's coming too, that it's it's just the speed of all of those factors coming together and not having time to go through evolutionary cycles so that you can test and learn and then figure out what works and improve upon it. So it's, it's more, feels more like a, a tsunami 
uh, or an earthquake that you've got to deal to. But but I think that's a brilliant thing because you know that's what creates change and innovation. And I agree with you. I think there'll be more uh, different shapes of agencies coming into space that helps sort that out. I think you'll end up seeing more. Uh, people in traditional media learning a bit more on the commercial skills required to leverage that retailer relationship in new ways and vice versa. So I think it's a good thing overall. It's just painful getting there. Uh, and you're addressing probably one of the single biggest pain points, which is the the standardization of language and metrics and uh, definitions so that we could um, not, you know, the, the Tower of Babel factor can can actually get us to the get us to the moon. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, the rapid rate of change is, is very apparent with, you know, brands saying kind of like, we're demanding this and retailers are like, we're still building it. But then I think yep. there's also tension because usually within a startup environment, you know, you're investing, you know, 500,000, hundred thousand to do a test and learn. And these are, you know, 20, 30, $40 million test and learns, not really just activation. So I think, mean, I think there's that tension, but I think, you know, the, the ecosystem is growing a lot. So one of the things that we want to make sure is that we're, we want to be broad enough um, because even right now, one of the biggest things that you'll, you've probably heard is that half the retail media networks don't want to be called retail media networks anymore. They want to be called media networks and, you know, it's a, it's a debate, you know, other commerce media, you know, how would you define retail media? I would define retail media as anyone who owns transactional or customer loyalty data and has the ability to monetize that data. And that's about define a retail media network. Well, by the way, I mean, that's one of the things we discovered in the white paper was the lack of definition. And some people may say, well, that, you know, how important is that really? Uh, I think it's hugely important. Um, you know, calling Amazon a retail media network is a bit of a misnomer. Amazon is a media company that has a retail operation. And if you benchmark just on Amazon as the penultimate retail media network, uh, it's hard to apply that what they've done to all the other omni-channel retailers in the exact same way. And so I think if, if you do address this topic of definition of retail media network and the classifications of those, because it's the, in the classifications we see, you know, the aggregators taking a different approach in some ways, and it's not all retail media network. It needs some classifications so that we can, can really provide a fair analysis of what to expect in those in performance and growth uh, based on the classification that that uh, media network retail media network sitting in would you agree to that yeah 100 percent. yeah that's 100 spot on yeah uh well jeff is there anything i've missed or co didn't cover around what you're doing that's important that uh we should talk about no i mean i i think we we, we covered everything i mean I, I think a few a few things is interesting to see um, is kind of like the global aspect of retail media. So I think Europe, from a technology standpoint, is much more ahead of the U.S. from a retail media perspective. Uh, and then it's interesting what is happening in Latin America. We're we're seeing a very different ecosystem, a retail media network, where they're actually combining retailer with money transactions because money is a big part of Latin America. It's much more visible in the day-to-day -day aspects. So like money transfers, savings and everything. So it's like, you know, retailer, but also the fact that you're able to manage your money within that. So I think it's interesting seeing that evolution and we'll see if that happens within the US because, you know, we're seeing a lot of 
you know, we have like the cardiolytics companies of the world. I think that there will be more partnerships with retailers in them. Um, I think there will be an expansion, especially since, you know, retailers have that customer loyalty data. We're going to see, I think we're going to see more of like those credit card companies that have a specific or airlines come in uh, next year. And I think we're going to see auto manufacturers next year. There's going to be an auto manufacturer that has a retail media network. I think that's going to be interesting how that works out. Yeah, it will be. Well, there's going to be lots of surprises we didn't think about. Uh, if you start looking you know, where we might be six months from now, a year from now, we say, wow, that just happened. Uh, but you're right. I think payment ends. Uh, the fintech side of this is un unexplored yet. Uh, how we look at promotions and offers in this space. And then uh, the big one is going to be the in-store. How do you get foot traffic and pick up digital signals from the in-store environments where you know a retailer may not have a really strong uh, e-com or digital traffic, but they might have tons of footfall. I think a Dollar General is a good example. We got 17,000 stores. And if you can pick up signals from that foot traffic that enhance first party data in a meaningful way uh, and, and in a data privacy way, there's some real opportunity there. So I think you know we'll see more in the in-store space come up and some of the other things that you talked about. Yeah, I mean, with cooler screens, you know, definitely insert activations there. I think even just before we close out, just kind of touching the fact that, you know, a lot of consumers buy in store, and there's a lot of brands feel that there's the loss of the consumer experience interacting with their brand in a real life scenario. So then we're going to see a huge growth in video, both on site, you know, you're able to, like, you know, maybe you don't want to see a can of beans on video, but you do, you would want to see how a pair of shoes look like. Or you know, shirt uh, or a butt bag looks like. Uh, so I think that's going to be more. And I think that you know the opportunities and partnerships with CTV are just other partnerships because you're from a retail media perspective, you can't really scale on site beyond the people that are going to go on site. You can't scale in store beyond people that are going to go to the store. Uh, but with off site, you can definitely scale that data across different environments, uh, which is going to be very valuable to both brands and retailers. Well said. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Uh, how will people get uh, the best way for people to get a hold of you, Jeff, to follow what's going on and to, uh, you know, get access perhaps to some of the conversations or if they want to engage with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, they can just uh, reach me at uh, data at IAV.com. And uh, that's kind of, you send an email and you say the specific topic, they'll be routed to me, or you can just follow me on LinkedIn and, you know, message me. I get a few messages a day and I always try to respond within a day or two. So, Excellent. Well, we'll make sure we have those in the liner notes of links to, to you and some of those places you mentioned. And I just want to thank you so much for what you're doing in the industry. It's a tough, it's a tough road to hoe here and you've done it uh, or you're doing it. And I really look forward to what comes out of it. Uh, it's going to drive some meaningful change. So thank you very much for your time today. And uh, it's been a pleasure to have you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This has been great. And also, thank you for writing the paper. Your idea, the paper you guys wrote was very insightful. All my members, I can guarantee you, all 180 of my members sent the paper, and I would say about 30% of them. Did. So, thank you. Well, that's good. That's a good start. We'll get them all to read it eventually. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. That's it for this episode of It's a Customer's World. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends, and I'd be super happy if you subscribe so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. 
It's a Customers World podcast is a product of the University of Arkansas's Customer-Centric Leadership Initiative and a Wilton College original production. 